Spades, Food, Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. Hi, I'm Brian Sellers-Peterson, and I am in the Diocese of Olympia. Um, that's where I live and um, use my, my tools and stick my um, hands in the ground. And I also have the privilege of uh, working with Good News Gardens, which is a joint program of creation, care, and evangelism in the presiding bishop's office. And I am Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs. I am the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis, and I'm coming to you from Indianapolis. And I am so excited about our podcast today because we have a dear friend and colleague along for the ride with us, the Right Reverend James Jim Curry, who is a retired Bishop Suffragan, which is an assisting Bishop of, a, of who's elected from the Diocese of Connecticut. He has a BA from Amherst College and um, a former Pioneer Valley resident here. I chair that on for the purple there and uh, educated through New England, served in New England. But what's notable for our conversation today is that he was one of the people who were foremost in our anti-gun violence efforts in our Episcopal Church. He is a founding member of the Bishops United Against Gun Violence and a contributor to the anthology Reclaiming the Gospel of Peace and is a board member of Mothers United Against Violence in Hartford. But essentially, he is the co-founder and chief blacksmith of Swords to Plowshares Northeast, an organization that works with towns and cities across New England to transform guns into garden tools to friends. That's why I'm so excited about this conversation because we know something about gardening, but let's hear about how transformative it can be. And so we welcome you, Jim, to the podcast and look forward to our conversation. Thank you. Well, let's get started, Jim. Um, we start out with the same question with everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, this is kind of a new thing for us, uh, veering off from, you know, eating food or growing food. But we're going to talk about the implements um, that we need to grow that food. But we're going to go a little wider than that. And we're really going to go into Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verse 4 uh, today. And um, But we really want to know where you're rooted. What is the place or community you feel most rooted? Well, I'm a transplant to New England. I grew up outside Chicago came east to go to college. My wife and I got married at the end of uh, college, and we stayed in New England, first in Western Mass and then in Connecticut. And it's not easy to transplant to the Northeast. I've heard that from lots of people, but part of it's because of our rocky soil. You really have to, uh, you have to work at getting uh, transplanted and then flourishing here in a lot of ways. Um, and that's where I'm rooted now. Been here actually uh, 56, seven years. So that counts finally as being uh, a New Englander. And I think of New England a lot. Uh, I listened to one of your earlier podcasts when uh, people were talking about cornfields. Um, and I look at New England as basically the trees. It takes a little bit longer to root and they uh, grow and uh, 
they're there for a long time, whether they're the maples or uh, around us in Connecticut, a lot of the uh, farming is orchards, especially uh, apple orchards. Um, so that's where I'm rooted. Um, we've lived either side of the Connecticut River most of our adult lives. Um, and the rivers of New England and the tributaries of uh, the Connecticut are really quite important to me. Um, a wonderful refreshment uh, whenever I go to the river. I love that, Jim. I remember um, now that I'm here in the Midwest, I don't get to New England very often. And I've flown into Hartford to go back to my alma mater there in the Pioneer Valley, in Western Mass. And I just was overtaken by the trees and the hills. And I had forgotten just after a few years of how different that landscape is. And so you've, you've begun to dip into to it a little bit about how creations, how creation, God's creation environment kind of nourishes your soul. But can you, you want to say anything more about that? Well, I do think the rootedness is, is, is part of it. The another part that roots my soul is the misuse of creation. And the, the call to the church to be active in uh, transformation and recreation. I've worked in New Orleans after Katrina. I've worked in Haiti after the earthquake. Uh, I've worked in Colombia in the midst of uh, drug trafficking. Uh, and in Mozambique in the midst of uh, renewal after their civil war. And... Uh, fighting the, the huge scourge of malaria. And it's all a package of what creation is. And for me, it, it becomes more and more a demand for us to be responsible to the gift of creation and how we respond to it. I was on a river trip. Uh, there was a wonderful river trip that went on kayak all the way down the Connecticut from the Connecticut lakes to uh, Old Saybrook on the Sound. And I didn't take the whole trip, but we were paddling through Hartford, this little city on the, on the river uh, early in the morning. And all of a sudden two bald eagles fly over us. We're maybe two miles away from the middle of the city. And it was just an aha moment of, um, you know, we can do anything or lots of things to try to uh, control nature. Uh, Hartford is built um, around dikes so that the city doesn't get flooded. Um, but all of a sudden, there's a picture of what creation is all about in the beautiful flight of these eagles uh, right next to the city. I, you have taught me so much and you sharing both the places you've been across the world and coming in into some hard places or after hard things have happened there. And um, to, to this description of how the beauty of creation is so present sometimes in the most unlikely of places, I think. Um, want to come back to you sometime and talk about Hartford and those dikes. It kind of sounds like Chicago, where we try to keep the water at bay in order for us to be able to live in a place, right? So, right, where we make the Chicago River flow backwards. Well, right, exactly, exactly. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Jim, really love you to, to talk about sort of what got you to the place of being a blacksmith. And so I'm going to back away a little bit. Um, 
because I want you to talk about Bishops United Against Gun Violence, of which both you and Jennifer have uh, been involved in and, and started. And so I'm going to back away and let the two of you have a conversation about that work. And, and then if you could then sort of move over what led you into um, your work with Swords to Plowshares. Um, I like, I keep forgetting, I always say guns into garden tools, um, yeah, but uh, love you to talk about that. That's our, that's our subtitle. But uh, Swords to Plowshares, I'm going to start with the image, comes from, as you said, Isaiah 2.4, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not raise up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And for, for me, in the environments in which I've lived, that gets translated to uh, they shall beat their guns into garden tools. Neighbors shall not raise up gun against neighbor, neither shall they learn violence anymore. About 30 years ago, uh, there was a seven-year-old girl who was shot and killed in Hartford um, on the way to her grandmother's house to give her grandmother a, a gallon of milk. She was asleep in the back seat of her father's car. Another car came up next to them and began shooting into the car, uh, and Marcelina was killed. And her death has stayed with me all these years uh, because um, well, partly because my, my daughters were the same age and they slept in the backseat of my car. Um, and uh, the, the, the violence of, of gun violence is uh, so dramatic. Well, that was in 1994. And uh, that's, that sort of stayed with me. Uh, and then in uh, 2012, and I had been working in the city with, with victims of uh, gun violence uh, in Hartford for many years. But uh, in December of 2012, when Sandy Hook massacre occurred, um, it, it really uh, was a moment, especially in Connecticut, when we could no longer um, just say, well, you know, that's life, let's move on. And a number of groups formed at that point, um, all trying to help remember the victims of that uh, gun violence, um, all of the victims. Some of those groups really wanted to make sure we included the shooter's mother and the shooter. There's been some controversy about that. But um, the, the sense was that we couldn't leave it at what it was. It's the same... Uh, a force that has compelled the folk in Parkland to, to do March for Our Lives and so on. So we started doing work here in, in Connecticut, legislative work, uh, community activism work. And one of the groups, the uh, Newtown Action Alliance, began having a vigil for the victims of gun violence in Washington every year. Uh, it would meet, first it met at the National Cathedral, and then it really found a home at St. Mark's Episcopal Church, Capitol Hill. And in 2016, I met a priest there from uh, Oregon, 
Jeremy Lucas, who had uh, won a, a gun in a, a raffle. Uh, he was so uh, upset that they were raffling a gun to help uh, support a girls softball team that um, he tried to stop it. They, he couldn't. And then he put in three thousand uh, dollars to buy tickets and he won the gun and he said, I'm going to destroy this gun. Um, got pushback from his parish, got pushback from the community, uh, but he persisted. And he found a group of Mennonites in Colorado Springs uh, who had started a group called Raw Tools, and they took his gun and started making gardening tools out of it. Uh, Jeremy brought one of those tools to the vigil in Washington, and uh, some of us from Connecticut said, well, here's where we go from here. And uh, we started working with the Raw Tools team, an incredibly wonderful group of Mennonites. And we've learned the skills. We started teaching the skills to uh, people incarcerated here in, in Connecticut and uh, to others. And uh, so we've become associated with the Raw Tools movement, which now has uh, blacksmiths and groups all over the country. And we especially have focused on uh, working with towns and cities with gun buybacks, and then working to destroy those guns and to create gardening tools. So that's wow. that's sort of the the uh, the long arc <laughs> of trajectory for this. Um, when I retired in uh, 2014, I decided that this was my life's work. So I've spent most of my time uh, in these last now almost eight years. Uh, building this ministry up and going both inside the church and beyond the church uh, to work with uh, community groups. Uh, and it's just amazing to watch people uh, take the hammer at the anvil. Uh, the forge heats up that metal to orange hot and it gets pounded and reshaped and transformed into uh, a garden tool. And um, the people who are doing the blacksmithing uh, are transformed too. Uh, and that's especially the case with uh, men and women who are survivors of gun violence, because uh, no longer is that gun in charge of them. No longer is their wound, whether it's the death of a friend, a child, or a uh, a wound that's physically in their own body. Uh, no longer is that uh, in control. They're actually transforming a gun, which is that, that instrument of potential harm, into a, a garden tool, which is only a sign of hope and peace. Well, and so I just, you know, the echoes and the reach of that transformation is so broad, you know, the way you're incorporating so many different aspects of community that don't often get together, right? So the those who um, are incarcerated, those who are victims of gun violence, survivors of gun violence, or related to, to folks who have survived gun violence. And then these garden tools go off 
and are in the hands of people who are trying to work with God to create something nurturing and life-giving. And so can you say something about where those garden tools end up? Yes. yes. Let me let me start. And, and this goes really to your ministries. What we've discovered, and there's got starting to be a whole lot of research about this, is when you, you can create green space in our urban areas, and those that green space is really quite available because there's so many uh, vacant lots and uh, areas where uh, gardens can be built. Um, in very small uh, plots of land. Um, I have a friend here in New Haven who um, was himself, as a younger person, uh, a drug dealer, uh, working on the uh, street corners of New Haven. Um, And then in uh, 2011, his then young adult son, Uh, was shot and killed uh, in New Haven. Sean uh, has really changed his life. He's created uh, in the same neighborhood where he used to be a drug dealer and where his son was killed. He's created a community garden. And um, he and the garden members have come to work at the Ford and now have taken our tools to their garden. It's just, it's just wonderful to see uh, the excitement. Um, since just, just recently, he's joined the board of uh, Swords to Plowshares Northeast, and we're really looking at that kind of development is really very important. We try to get uh, community leaders to come and beat at the forge. So if we, if we go to a town, for instance, uh, I was in New, ha- New London, Connecticut last summer. Uh, we made sure that the mayor was uh, invited to come and to beat at the, the forge. Uh, I then finished up that tool and got it back to him. Uh, and we're going to be doing a gun buyback in uh, New London in the near future. The image of uh, Swords to Plowshares, that incredible passage from Isaiah, really captures people's imagination. Um, and it's, a, it's an evangelical tool because there are lots of people who have never heard of Isaiah, uh, but who hear of this possibility of transformation and all of a sudden they understand something about the gospel. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I wish this was a, a video versus a podcast. We are blessed to be recording this um, over Zoom and it's audio only for those of you who are listening. But um, I hope that we'll get a chance to direct folks to some resources that will show them what these instruments look like. Because I will say it wasn't until very recently, you know, as the kids say, I was today, today years old when I understood that passage in a visual way. You know, I've I've been praying through the Psalms and Isaiah, swords into plowshares for decades, but it was abstract. It was abstract. It was like, okay, a sword, plowshare. It's not something that resonated with my urban experience. Um, And so here's something that is tangible. You can see it. It makes, it just helps the whole richness of that scriptural image come to life in an incredible way. And the the whole movement toward urban gardens is so, so rich. We have, I think, so much to learn from 
from folk. And it's and these gardens aren't easy to make. Uh, you know, I was talking about the rocky soil of New England. Um, uh, urban gardens are full of concrete and they're full of uh, uh, toxic materials. Uh, really, you got to do um, build up uh, garden boxes and so on. That's but right. as that's done, the, the neighborhood changes its understanding of land. And then we do get into the spoon and soul because uh, the, uh, the produce um, we have one uh, community garden that we gave tools to here in New Haven. It's at one of our libraries. And every week uh, during the harvest season, they would put out uh, garden produce in the lobby of the library for anybody to just come and take. Yeah, it really builds. Yeah, that, that, just the idea that, that uh, what used to be a gun enabled that produce to get on the table at that library yep you know is is yeah. just a, a wonderful image and idea we always offer shameless plug opportunities later in the the pod but i'm going to do it right now i'm also going to promise we're going to get a lot of pictures on different social media outlets of your handiwork jim um because uh you got to see this but y'all need to go to s2pnortheast.org that's swords to plowshares northeast so sp s2p s2pnortheast.org they've got a store there um and uh you can you can get a garden tool but um i just wanted to stick that in um um, because I think I've got all these ideas about different opportunities. We can use tools from your ministry and, and other ministries that are involved in transforming guns um, into our, our, our common life, into our worship. And uh, I was saying earlier, I'd love to see um, one of your trowels or um, Maddox, you know, used in a celebration of new ministry. And uh, so all you vestry members who are welcoming uh, a, a new rector, you know, you need to get a, a tool um, from Jim to present to your rector, uh, because most of them do have land that they have to um, be responsible for and they're and uh, together with their congregation. So um, I'm really excited about all that you're doing. I have a question about um, your relationship with police departments. Yes. Um, you talk about buyback programs. And um, uh, so tell us a little bit about how that works and how that goes and some of the relationships you've established. Yeah. Well, in, in Connecticut, the disposal of a gun, that if I owned one and I wanted to get rid of it, it really has to go through the police department. You can take your gun to the police and they'll take care of it. Um, but we've also had a, a long history here in Connecticut of a gun buyback where we would uh, identify a, a value for a specific kind of gun and uh, then give gift cards uh, up to that value for the gun. For instance, uh, a BB gun would get $10. It's mostly not a lethal weapon, 
But again, the symbolism of especially a, a teenager or a child giving up their gun for something in return, it makes sense. It, it, it's a good thing. Um, and then assault weapons would be on the higher end of our uh, giving away. We have to work with the police here. In some communities, Colorado is a good example. Um, they've been able to work out that a church could just do a collection, a buyback by themselves. It wouldn't have to be under the auspices of police. Uh, they could destroy the guns uh, according to federal standards, and it goes on. We have to work through the police, and it has been a tremendous gift to be able to work with them because, uh, again, we're trying to make connections across difference. Um, and uh, police don't want uh, guns on the streets. Um, they don't want guns in homes that aren't uh, safely stored, um, where uh, kids could uh, get them and, and hurt each other. Um, one of the little known facts about gun violence is that well over half of the victims uh, in gun deaths are by suicide. And there are guns in homes all over this country that are just uh, unsecure. Uh, people might not even remember that they're there, except that the person in crisis will remember it's there and could use it for self-harm or just complete destruction. Police are the victims of gun violence. Um, now, I'm not saying that uh, there aren't issues in policing. Of course there are, and they're tremendously important. Um, but this is a place where there is a commonality uh, that we can really build some bridges into the community. Um, so we've experienced very positive relationships in small towns, uh, small cities, and the larger cities. Of course, Connecticut doesn't have large cities. It has a whole number of small cities. Um, but we're working in each of these. Um, Bridgeport, New Haven, Hartford, Stamford, New London. Um, and the police are part of the conversation. Um, and it's wonderful when I'm working with them when we're actually destroying the guns. I'll often be doing that under their supervision and just either sign the gun or uh, somebody who's with us who really knows how to use a cutting torch melts the guns. Uh, and the police have been nothing but uh, supportive. Well, uh, I think, I mean, this is fascinating. I, I haven't heard about that, but I wonder as we think about what those relationships, like that's, you know, creating social cohesion, I think is the, in my byword of the week, hearing different folks talk about that. And that's, it sounds like it's happening in those um, ways in which the police are interacting in a different way with the community. And, you know, what, what would it be like if we were funding that? <laughs> Just got to put exactly. it out there, you know? For, for instance, a couple of years ago, we were in um, Norwalk, Connecticut, a small, a small city. Um, and we were getting ready to stage a buyback. And uh, the police invited us to be part of the National Night Out, which is a, a police sponsored event for community members. And so um, 
we set up right outside the police department. And for five hours, we had the forge going um, with all sorts of people stopping by. The Explorer police, uh, police explorer unit was there uh, helping out. And um, it was just great fun. It was a, a, a moment where the police got some encouragement because uh, this was something they were sponsoring and people came to. And uh, it set up our first buyback with them in, a, in just a wonderful way. Well, Jim, how about, we got a lot of hunters in our church. Um, and uh, I live in the mountains. So a lot of my neighbors, friends, even family members are avid, avid hunters. Um, most all of them do it in a sort of a reverent way um, in terms of taking life. But what has been the reaction uh, to church members uh, with guns uh, for hunting? Well, for, for hunting and for sport. Um, yeah. And um, we only encourage people to be responsible gun owners. Uh, and we want to, to really support and celebrate uh, people who do uh, sport with guns, whether it's target shooting or uh, hunting, uh, in appropriate ways. Um, I don't, I'm not a gun owner. I am, however, as a Boy Scout counselor, I ran a rifle range at uh, Boy Scout camp for four years. And um, I was a trained uh, rifle instructor. Uh, it's important to have trained instructors. It's important uh, if you're in a family that has firearms that you teach safety and care for the power of, of that gun. Um, I have a friend in one of our parishes. In fact, it's the parish where we have our uh, permanent forge uh, here in Connecticut. One of their wardens was uh, uh, the president of uh, the Tommy Gun Association. Tommy guns were made in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And his father had been a machinist at, at that plant for years and years and years. And he, I, it, it is beyond my imagination. But anyway, the, the, there's a club of Tommy gun owners, and they really are very clear about safety, about safe storage. In fact, uh, my friend uh, is so uh, secure about his securing of the guns that he uh, he creates a maze in his basement so you can't even really get to the gun safe. Um, and we started off a little tense with one another. Uh, and within about two weeks, we became very fast friends as he saw me at the forge. And uh, it was clear that um, I accepted his uh, his sporting and the diligence with which he took safety. It, it takes a while. At gun buybacks, we often have uh, people come in and um, give us a little bit of uh, attention. 
but we remind him that this is this is voluntary. Uh, I'm not there to take his gun away. Um, I'm here to take guns that are really unsafe and unwanted and repurpose them. And to we, we also uh, find funding for uh, gun locks and gun safes so that we can either give them away or sell them at a discount uh, so that uh, those who want to keep their guns can safely store them. Uh, Jim, can you about how many instrument uh, implements have you made over the years with, with um, this you know, Do you have a sense of that? Uh, yeah, I, I've probably made uh, three or 400. We now have an inventory of about 60 trowels and uh, about a dozen of the Maddoxes. The, the Maddoxes take a little bit longer. And the other thing is uh, we've become more and more interested in producing a, a beautiful a beautiful product as opposed to uh, rushing around and just getting a tool done. Uh, so there's some pride in workmanship that's <laughs> starting to take over and it takes a little bit longer to do each each tool. But you know, you've got me thinking about other questions. I um, I had recently found out on a, a visitation to our church in New Harmony, Indiana, on the southwest side of the diocese of the state, that we have parishioners involved in forging, and they have been on the show forged, and they've been making resilient stones, which um, and they're not coming from from weapons, but just the sense that the metal can be turned into something that was going to be tossed away and yeah. turned into something to hold into, into your hand. And I thought, well, now I've got other questions about possible projects that might be um, available to, you know, perhaps start turning some <laughs> discard, you know, guns that need to be off the streets into something else. And so I'm hoping that folks will get inspired by this work to do. Well, uh we also make jewelry, uh, oh. simple jewelry. And um, one of the things is to take a, a ring that we saw off of a shotgun barrel, uh -huh. uh, about a maybe a half inch uh, wide ring, and we can make that into uh, a heart using a special blacksmithing jig. And um, what I'll do every time I'm doing a demonstration is I'm going to invite people to pound on the heavy metal, but I'm also going to invite them to pound uh, a ring uh, into a heart um, and then keep that as a, as a souvenir of one of my friends in, in uh, uh, Newtown, uh, when she started uh, organization in memory of her daughter, Anna Grace. The Anna Grace Project's uh, uh, banner is Loved Wins. And the, the heart transformed out of a, a shotgun barrel is exactly that. Um, we have some jewelers who make them so that we can sell them. Um, but we also work with teenagers, children, and uh, just members of the public to to make them into rough necklaces um, because they've just done the work. In 10 minutes, they can make a heart. Um, and uh, love wins. If that isn't the gospel, I don't know what is. So Jennifer, one of the things that we're, we've been working on, uh, not successfully yet, 
is trying to make a presence at general convention. And the, the only way to do that would be to connect with a parish close enough in Baltimore uh, to that could have us there a day or so um, and invite people to come by. Um, there's one actually, uh, our home parish is called Grace and St. Peter's. And uh, by God's grace, there's a Grace and St. Peter's in Baltimore. And we've had an initial conversation. Uh, they're afraid they're a little bit too far away to make any, um, make it work. But Mark Beckwith told me you were trying to make some church connections in Baltimore and Absolutely. I'll, my dear, dear, dear friends, our co-rector is at Old St. Paul's in Baltimore, which is the closest Episcopal church to, to the convention center, where we will be in residence for a while. And so this might be right up their alley. We're hoping to do some prayers around gun violence and the scourge that it has in the city of Baltimore City. So let's talk about that. I'm happy yeah. to make introductions and to see what we could get up to. Mary Luck Stanley and Mark Stanley there are doing some really good work with um, bringing this issue um, to the congregation and, and getting bold about talking about the violence in the city. So we'll and follow up on on, on July 10th, Good News Gardens and United Thank Offering are going to be doing a, a field to soul sort of local food tasting party at Trinity and Towson. And um, I want to talk to you, Jim, about, you know, how we uh, um, put this in. We're putting together swag bags and, and uh, you know, maybe some giveaways uh, uh, to people. But I think that there's some chance uh, we can some do some things to highlight your ministry at that banquet. So, Jim, what is, I mean, as we think about, I mean, this is, I think there's a, um, a way in which we would love to be able to engage more closely across the church. And so what is an essential resource that you would want to recommend to the Triple S audience here? And um, we, we will make sure that folks get directed to your website. Um, but what else would you want us to know about other resources? Rawtools.org. Um, as I said, they're the... Um, the parents of this whole ministry. Um, Mike Martin is the executive director there in Colorado Springs and has just done magnificent, magnificent work over the years. They were founded right after Sandy Hook when they said, like most of us said, we got to do something. And uh, they had an idea that just goes really well. We have blacksmiths in that loose confederation of raw tools all over the country now. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, another is that there's going to be a national gun buyback day on June 11th. Uh, that uh, this is going to be the first of those, but we've, we're working with blacksmiths and uh, organizations, uh, the, the Presbyterian church, uh, Mennonites, us, Congregational Church, um, all across the country, uh, in in some of the major uh, gun violence prevention groups, the grassroots groups, not so much the national power down groups, but grassroots groups that are just trying to uh, do the kind of work we're doing with our local communities. So those are two resources. 
Bishops United Against Gun Violence is, I think, a very, very important resource. And uh, one of the great things that we did early on was to, to set aside on our uh, website um, resources, especially liturgical resources uh, for this kind of work. And it seems to me that it would be very easy to blend uh, good news garden resources and uh, anti-gun violence resources in, in terms of you know looking toward God's future. Well, that's wonderful. We will make sure that we get um, all of those resources in the show notes. And just to um, say it one more time, your website is s number two, numeral two p northeast.org, s2pnortheast.org. And so we'll make sure folks find out easily how to get to you and the work that you're doing. That's so transformative. Yeah, thank you. And then um, here's the other URL people should have and we'll have in the show notes, bishopsagainstgunviolence.org. As we begin to come to a close, we're going to come back around. We, we, off, we have to ask this question just because um, it's, a, it's one of the favorites we like to ask of all of our guests. When you are not in the forge or doing all the many things you do, what do you like to eat? What dish or meal makes you sigh with cooking comfort? Well, I was talking about the trees of New England. Uh, I love making apple pies Oof. and giving them away. And Connecticut apples are as good as any apples. I'm even speaking to Washington here. Um, oh, boy. And uh, uh, that's just plain fun. I'm also a bread baker. And blacksmithing and uh, bread baking have a lot in common um, because even the mistakes you make can be uh, reformed, <laughs> transformed. Um, and there's there's nothing like getting your hands into the into the process. So those are those are the two things. And I, I can give long sermons on uh, the theology of bread baking and the theology of blacksmithing. Oh, I think uh, <laughs> you can come back around for another podcast just on those two. I would love to hear more about that. Um, how those come together. I know there's something like a super hot fire that's involved in both cases, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you, Jim. And uh, that's a wrap uh, for today's uh, Spade Spoon Soul, also known as Triple S. And if you want to know more about us, you can find us on our Facebook page, which all you have to do is put in Spade Spoon Soul. <laughs> Or email us at spadespoonsoulpodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our producer, Derek Weston, who makes the magic happen there to help us sound so good. He also happens to be a Presbyterian pastor, community organizer, urban farmer, filmmaker, podcaster on in his own right. The list doesn't end. And so we're gra grateful for him and also for the multi-talented Jay Sidebotham, who made the artwork for our podcast, and to Ryan Lee for the amazingly groovy music that opens up our show. So until next time, we hope you will find ways to connect your soul to your spade or spoon or both. Bye. Be well, friends. Mm -hmm.